Amen, amen. So one of the things that we're going to be looking at tonight in our Bible study, we're in, uh, this is our second week of eschatology. Eschatology is a fancy way of saying the study of the end days or the study of the last days. It's just a fancy way of saying that. But what we're looking at specifically is the temperature of the room of that hour. Um, the last days, you could pretty much say they started whenever the church started. You could, you could say that biblically, um, and we're going to show you a little bit of that as we begin. But we're going to be looking at a certain vein tonight. We're, we're, Lord willing, we're going to get into uh, the religion or the religiosity of the atmosphere of the end times. We're going to look at that aspect of it tonight and, and see what we can pull out of it. Now, I have to do just a, a small bit of laying some groundwork for you uh, just so you can understand some things. So number one, we're going to be looking at um, why there's going to be a change. We looked at last week, Daniel chapter 9, and if you remember, I told you that, that, that you know, I characterized that as the roadmap to prophecy. If you miss that, you miss everything. You don't understand why there's a tribulation. You don't understand why there's a book of Revelation. You don't understand why there's a falling away. You don't understand why there's a rapture. You don't understand why there's a second coming. If you miss Daniel 9, you just don't understand it. And one, one important thing to, to remember as we go through is that God's heart is for his people. You are his people by adoption, but he has a people called Israel as well. And God still loves his people. And Daniel chapter 9 teaches that God judged his people and God's given a space of time for others, but God's going to turn his attention back to Israel. And so we're going to look at um, a little bit of this tonight, beginning in Luke chapter number 21. Look at verse... Let's look at verse number 23. It says, But woe to them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days, for there shall be great distress in the land, and wrath upon this people. Now, just if you, if you just glance your eyes up into verse number 20, you see the word desolation. That lets you know that that's part of this tribulation hour. It's part of that time period. This is part of those end days. And at that time, um, that's where this lies. And look at verse number 24. They shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trotted down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Then after that, the very next verse goes into the signs and the sun and the moon. And you go in later, that's when the, everything starts getting dark and crazy and things falling out of the sky and all kinds of distresses in the world. But look what comes first. The Lord said that the times of the Gentiles will be fulfilled. So one of the things that I want to point out is the church age is the time of the Gentiles. The church age is a specific time that God set apart for people like us to be included into the family of God. Before that time, there was no way for you to do that unless you were a proselyte to Israel. And even when you became a proselyte, there were certain things you couldn't do. 
But now, in this hour of the church age, God has opened the door. He's flung it wide open through Jesus to anyone, whosoever. It doesn't matter if you're from New Guinea or New Brunswick or New Mexico. You're, the, the Lord is open for business if you come to the cross. Doesn't matter your gender, doesn't matter your, doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter your uh, color of skin, it doesn't matter who your parents are, doesn't matter how much money's in your pocket. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Those things don't matter in this hour. It is, it is open to anyone that is willing to look to Jesus for their salvation. Okay, that's what God's looking for. And so uh, this is a specific time period. Here you see it characterized. Uh, the Lord says, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Now, there's another place that I want to take you to in the same vein. Go with me to Romans chapter number 11. Romans chapter number 11. And we're going to begin with verse number 19. Now, this section is very important, and, and you know, the Lord is awesome because he helps you to understand with plain language. How many of you are glad of that? How many are glad of parables and things like that? Um, plain language helps us to understand, and the Lord's talking about uh, right here the difference between Gentiles and Israel. So this kind of helps you understand um, a lot. So beginning in, in Romans 11, beginning with verse number 19. Let's just start there. He said, thou, will then, thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. How many of you heard Gentiles boast kind of like that? Okay. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. And thou standest by faith, not law-keeping, it's important for somebody to hear that. Not law-keeping, but you stand by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branch, take heed, lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. You, you can see right now, goodness and severity in God. Just think of God as a branch. Okay, or think of God as the tree trunk and, and you being a branch that he broke off of something else and put in himself. Okay, you see goodness because you didn't deserve that, but you also see severity because God took Israel off and cast Israel to the side, but he put you in. So you see goodness and you see severity, right? And you're only in the tree because of faith. You're not there because you're good. You're not there because of your righteousness. You're not there because you can say your ABCs. You're not there because of that. You're there because God's good and God made a way for you and you said yes to Jesus. So you stand by faith in that tree, right? So you see the severity because he took Israel out. But watch this. Okay, so there, behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fail severity, but toward thee, goodness. If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shall be cut off. Now that you're going to need to hear for the end of tonight. You're going to need to hear that for the end of tonight. Because there is goodness to you 
if you continue in the goodness. And I'm going to tell you a word that is important for you to understand. The goodness that you find is your faith in Jesus Christ. The same way that you get in is the same way you stay. It is by relying on what Jesus did for your soul. Once you begin to trust in your own works, the devil's going to run roughshod over you. He's going to make you feel like you blew it today and you're not saved. He's going to make you feel like, see, I told you, you still got road rage. I told you, you still got that. You still got that. He's going to mess with you. And all that is shown is that you've begun to place your faith in how good you're doing and not resting in the goodness of Jesus. Okay, that's where your faith, look, all that you are, the best of who you are, all that, that's over. You are only what Jesus says, right? And you are all that he says. Your standing with God rests completely on the righteousness of Christ. Once you, once you begin to look to how good you're doing, you're setting yourself up for skid marks. Okay, so anyways, um, let's continue in this. Um, if, okay, the goodness is to you if you continue, otherwise thou shall be cut off. Because look, did God cut off Israel for right now? Yes. And so he's saying, if you don't watch out, you might need to, you know. Okay, verse number 23. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in for God is able to graft them in again. So if God took them off and they turned to Jesus, God's going to put them back in. That's what he's saying right now. Right now, there's neither Jew nor Greek in what in Christ in Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. Every, every, everything about your background, everything about all that, it's over with in Christ. He's the Messiah of all people. He's the Savior of all men. Okay? Um, for if thou were cut off by the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into the good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? For I would not, this is the last verse we're going to read right here. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. You know, ignorance is not bad. It just means you don't know something. So Paul's saying, here's something that you don't know, but you need to grasp it. Okay? I would not that you be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceit, that blindness in part is happened unto Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. So let me say it like this. Once the Lord went to the cross and he shed his blood and the new covenant began, so don't let anybody lie to you, the New Testament didn't start with Matthew chapter 1. The New Testament started when his blood was shed. He said it himself. He said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. So his blood is when the New Testament was began. That's why he fulfilled the law. That's why he did everything he was supposed to do all through the Gospels. Then you get to the cross, everything changes, okay? That's when the times of the Gentiles begin. This is the opportunity for Gentiles to come in. This is when people like Cornelius 
in Acts chapter 10, and their whole house gets saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. He had no right being saved. He had no right being grafted into God's tree. But because this is the time of the Gentiles, God brought all of Cornelius' house in in Acts chapter 10. Okay, and that just began this whole onslaught of all the door being flung wide open to Gentiles, God raising up the Apostle Paul, Israel rejecting the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul saying, you know what, I'm done with you, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. Therefore, he went on his missionary journeys and he went to Macedonia. He went to all these places. If the Lord, if the Lord would have given him any more years, I think he probably would have come all the way to to America. He probably would have beat Columbus, you know, but, but I'm, I'm being, you know, funny, but I mean, he was going everywhere telling all the Gentiles that he could. And sometimes the Lord told him to stop, right? And he obeyed the Lord. But anyways, I'm just showing you that the door to the Gentiles was flung open and you see the, the, the door to Israel, right? Being changed. Because now, if you're going to come to the Lord, you're going to have to come the same way the dog Gentiles come, which is Calvary. You're not going to come to God any other way right now. And no other way ever. From now and forever, there's only one way to God. For now and forever. It will never be by any other thing except for the blood of Jesus Christ. It will never be for any other thing except for faith in what Jesus did. Even when, like he says right here, even when the times of the Gentiles are over, guess what? They're, when God turns back to Israel, they still are going to be saved, or if they are saved, the same way we are. And I'll tell you what's going to happen. When the Lord removes the church... When the Lord removes the church and then when the second coming of the Lord comes, the Bible says that the sun will be dark, the moon won't give us light, the stars will have already been fallen, and then they're going to see a bright light. They're going to see the sign of the Son of Man coming. They're going to see the Son of God coming on the clouds. I've heard you know, ministers say that it could be like a star-looking thing, like a cross, but we don't know. But the, the, they're going to see the sign of Jesus coming in the sky. He's going to, the, the same way that he left is the same way he's going to come back. He's going to physically, bodily come down, and his feet are going to hit the earth. His feet are going to hit the Mount of Olives, and there's going to be an earthquake. There's going to be all kinds of crazy things that happen. But watch this. The Bible says that they're going to look upon the one whom they've pierced. All of Israel in that moment is going to be their back against the wall. The Antichrist is going to have them right where he wants them. Everything that we're going to be talking about tonight is toward this one goal because the Antichrist hates God's people. And if you're a God's people and he removes you, guess who the Antichrist is going to start hating then? Jews. And he's going to be bloodthirsty for Jews, just like the devil's bloodthirsty for any child of God. And when the Antichrist comes after them, he's going to have them at the end of the tribulation right where he wants them, and that's when Jesus is going to come, and they're all going to look up and see the one whom they've pierced. And when they believe on him, when they believe on him, they're going to be saved. That's, there's no other way of salvation. The, even in the tribulation, no other way of salvation. People say, well, they're going to have to work. No, you get saved the same way now and forever. It's one way. There's not, once you go down that road, you start opening up cans of worms that you can't close. 
and start moving outside of the bounds of Scripture. So watch this. We see here that there's a, a, a times of the Gentiles, right? Times of the Gentiles. Now, we, we talked about, and specifically, we talked about the 70 weeks of Daniel chapter 9. Y'all remember that? How many, of, how many weeks of those seven years are, are done? 69 are done. There's one week of seven years left to go. That's where everybody, everybody gets the seven-year tribulation from that uh, timeline. Everybody gets it from that. Once you get into that, that's when God turns his attention back to Israel. That's when the times of the Gentiles are over with. Now, there's a little bit of, um, uh, there could be some running over. Let, um, let's go over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Because, and let me say this as we get into it, there are certain things in eschatology that we're not going to know until the Lord performs them, okay? There, there are certain things that we don't know for sure, okay? Like, like I said, the sign of the Son of Man. It could be a cross, it could be an S, it could be Jesus' face, it could just be a star. We don't know. Right? So now you could, you could formulate an opinion and try to prop it up by scripture, but that's just your opinion, right? I mean, we don't know for sure. So there are things about eschatology that we're, you know, we think we know, but we can't really know for sure. And once you get into to things like this, there's, you know, some play there if you know what I mean. Um, one of the areas is um, how soon will the church know who the Antichrist is? Okay, there are, um, we're pre-tribulation folks. But in the pre-tribulation camp, there are some people that believe you're gonna know the Antichrist and then there's others that say you won't. So where you come down on that is how you interpret this, what we're about to read. That's, that's it. Um, now, I could see it both ways, and I'll tell you why as we get into it. Um, whenever the new covenant began, Israel was still functioning halfway with the temple. They were still bringing sacrifices, right? Even though the new covenant had started, even though the times of the Gentiles had began, the Jews were still functioning in the old system somewhat. So there was a little bit of bleed over until God just totally obliterated the temple. Then, hey, there's no... But even at that point, God had already said, there's, now we've got, the, we've got the priesthood of Melchizedek. We're not in the Levitical priesthood anymore. That was before the temple was even destroyed. So God had already turned his... And you can even see like in the life of the Apostle Paul. How many times do you see the Bible says that he went for three years over here? He went for years over here. That, you... There are things in the law that say you have to come three times a year to Jerusalem. How are you going to go over here for three years and not come back here three times a year? Well, it's because he wasn't holding to the law. He had already transitioned. He had already transitioned to the law of Christ, not the law of Moses. So there's, there's some blending, okay? So whenever the times of Gentiles began, some of Israel was still functioning in the old covenant, and I believe that when you get into this time period, we don't know for sure. There, there may be a little bit of bleed over. So, um, but let's get into it and we'll see. So 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2, look at verse number 1. It says, Now we beseech you, brethren, 
by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Because when Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians 4 about the rapture, everybody got a crick in their neck. They thought it was happening right then. Now, we, we teach and believe in the imminency. I believe the Lord could come before we finish the Bible study. But they were so caught up in it, they had begun to do like those, you know, they, they had, I'm not paying any more bills. Lord's coming right now, right? I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. So he was saying, hold on. Before all that happens, some other things have to happen, right? So he was kind of slowing them down a little bit. Um, but look what he says in verse number three. Let no man deceive you by any means. Does anybody need a definition for deceive? Turn on TBN. Oh, tease. <laughs> deceive means to trick, right? Okay. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition, that's the Antichrist, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. What you just read in, in verse 4 is the abomination of desolation. We, we looked at the abomination of desolation in, in, in the book of Matthew. We looked at it in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, and then you see it right here. That's what it is. This is when the Antichrist says, hey, I'm God. There is none above me. This is exactly what Lucifer wanted to do. You see that in, in the book of Isaiah because the Bible says that Lucifer wanted to be like the Most High. There is no being like the Most High. Nobody is like the Most High. There's only one God. God said there's, there's only one God, right? He said, beside me there is how many? Beside me there is none. Um, and, but Lucifer's whole deal is to be like the Most High, okay? And that's what, and that's what the Antichrist, uh, the spirit motivating him wants to do. But notice what happens in verse number three. It says, let no man deceive you for that day. What day? Coming of the Lord, right? The day of Christ. That day will not come except there come a falling away first. Do you know that that's where we get the word apostasy? The falling away? That's where we get the word apostasy. That's that word, apostasia. What does it mean to apostatize? To apostatize means to depart from the path you were on. It means to turn away from what you have and leave it. So the falling away that he's talking about right here are people that are on the right path but have apostatized. You can't apostatize if you've never been a part of something. Apostasy by its very definition blows a lot of theology out of the way. You, you cannot leave something if you ne were never there. It, yeah, it, it kind of blows that out the water. 
If you were, if, if you were in, say, Dallas, and you said, I'm going to leave Dallas, you'd be apostatizing Dallas. But you can't really apostatize Dallas if you never were there first. Got it? You can't say, I'm leaving Dallas, but you never got there. Then you'd be what? A liar. Liars don't have what? Have no part in the kingdom of God. They shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So you can't apostatize unless you first were there. So look what it says. It says they're falling away. They're falling away. They're falling from, they're departing from what? They're departing from the faith. They're departing from the faith. So this is a sharp edge. The Lord says that the day of Christ will not come until first there's a great time of apostatizing in the church. So let's think about apostasy for a little bit. Apostasy, like I said, is departing from the faith. Now, when we're talking about departing from the faith, we're not talking about I can't believe they took the pews out of the church and they put the chairs in. They've gone new age. That's not what we're talking about, okay? That's, that's not what we're talking about. When we're talking about departing from the faith, we're talking about people that no longer teach the truth of the gospel, the fundamentals of the gospel. What, what would the fundamentals of the gospel be? What would we, if somebody changed from pews to chairs, that's not a fundamental, right? What if, somebody, what if somebody changed from pre-trib to post-trib? Is that a fundamental? That's not fundamental. It's not explicit in the Bible. It's not fundamental to the faith. It doesn't change who your God is, does it? So what is something that's fundamental to the faith? Let's think about them. Huh? Virgin birth is exactly right. That's one of them. Virgin birth tells, speaks, smells, describes the gospel. Without a virgin birth, what you got? You got just the man that became good. Virgin birth is foundational, foundational. The virgin birth is prophesied in, in, in Isaiah chapter 7, right? The virgin shall conceive a child. And then you see in Isaiah 9, a child is born, a son is given. This baby is a child and a son. He's a baby, but he's a son of God, right? So he has no earthly father. The, the Bible, and, and it also fulfills, that was a great one. It also fulfills Genesis chapter three, when God pronounced judgment in one of the judgments that he gave. And then he told Eve, he said, your seed, your seed will what? Bruise his head. Your seed, Eve, your seed. Wait, a woman doesn't have seed. How? By the power of the Holy Ghost on her. See, the seed is in the man. God bypassed the sin seed and he put in the holy seed, the seed of David, the seed of God. He put in that holy seed. And so how did he, this is Emmanuel. The, the virgin birth is foundational to the faith. Um, we don't have that problem nowadays, but it's implied. It's implied. We don't have that problem as much nowadays, but um, in the 60s, 70s, Oh, that was a big to-do. That was big because it was a Roman soldier. It, or Joseph lied about it. He didn't want to get caught. It was a big to-do trying to explain it away. Virgin birth is foundational to the faith. That's great. What's another one? Uh, only God, only man. 
Fully God, fully man. Hypostatic union? That's right. The, the, the deity of Christ. The deity of Christ. That Christ is God. He's not, um, he's not God-like. He didn't get a God consciousness once he, you know, uh, once he went to India and found out who he was. He didn't, he didn't no, he, he was born God. He always was God. He is God. He always will be God. There was never a time when he was not God. But he was also fully man. That, at that point, the incarnation, God added to his very essence flesh. There was never a time before that that he was flesh, but he added it to himself at that point. There was a, 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 a dynamic change in the Godhead. The fullness of the Godhead bodily through the Virgin Mary. And the Bible says she's blessed above every other woman. I mean, just because some churches take that and run with it, she's still, she's blessed above every other woman. Highly favored. And God used that incarnation for what? Why did God incarnate? Why did God incarnate? To go to Calvary. To go to Calvary. To bear our sins to bear our sins, that we have a sinless Savior who died on the cross. That When, when the Bible says that he became a curse for us, he, he died the death of a cursed individual, though he was not. It would be like you dying the death on, on the electric chair of a murderer, though you were not a murderer, you died a murderer's death. That's what that's saying. He, he shed innocent blood, holy blood, for us. Yes, that's a good one too. He truly died and swooned. He, the death, burial, resurrection, that's the gospel, that he truly died. He truly gave up the ghost. But did he stop existing? This is hard for some people. The, the death of Christ is the laying down of his flesh, but he still exists. He's still God. He never stopped being God. Once, once you go, now you guys that have been here for our Word of Faith series, y'all got this. But some of you may not. But when he died, he didn't stop being God. He, his nature never changed from God to Satan. Don't let somebody lie to you. His nature never changed from, from God to Satan. His nature is, always has been, and always will be that he's God, okay? And so, um, and, and that presents other problems, but you guys that have been here, y'all kind of know those. You got one? Oh, okay. Yes, yeah, and we're going to get in that. That's a good one, that there's only one way. Jesus said what in John 14, 6? I am the way, the truth, and the no man come to the uh, And what's so hard about that? He said no man, no Jew, no Greek, no Muslim, no Buddhist, no Hinduist, no New Ager, no atheist, no nobody comes to the Father but by me. So there's no coexist. 
The only way you're going to exist is to surrender to Christ, right? That's the only way you're going to exist. Um, so here's the other uh, fundamentals of the faith is that his resurrection. You talked about his death. His next one is his resurrection. When he rose from the dead after how many days? Three days. He rose bodily, bodily from the dead. It wasn't a ghost. He had a, a true body. It was spiritually energized, but it was not just a mirage. It, it, you couldn't stick your hand through it, right? What did he tell Thomas? Feel, feel, feel flesh and bone. That's right. He said, feel right here, feel the hole right here, feel the hole right here. And then what did he, he ate, he ate. So he's not a ghost, he's a body. The same, the same body that he was given is the same body type that you'll be given if you get resurrected in the first resurrection. That's the glorified body. It's the glorified body. Um, there's speculation on that, so that's a good question. When, when Jesus rose from the dead and Mary said, Rabona, right? He said, Mary, don't touch me. I haven't ascended to the Father yet, right? Um, some, which I'm kind of in that vein, one of the verses in Hebrew says that he cleansed the temple in heaven, and I believe that he went and took some of the blood and he cleansed the heavenly temple because that's where Satan sinned in the beginning. Satan in heaven wanted to be like the Most High in heaven. And the Bible says that, that Moses was given a, uh, a plan of the temple in heaven, the court in heaven. And so most people believe that he had to go up there and um, put the blood on the altar of heaven before, you know, he was, because he was in that uh, place of being consecrated for priestly work. So that's, most scholars come down on that line. And I kind of agree with them. But uh, if anybody has another, I mean, those are those things that, that you, you get implications of, but you don't know for sure. There are some things that we just don't know for sure till we, till we, you know, get there. Yeah, till we get there. Yeah, and someday we will. Someday we will. Um, so, uh, but the important thing is those, those foundations, right? The foundations of the faith. That is uh, what, when, when the Bible says here that there is a great falling away or this falling away, that is the word. You can look, um, if you have a Strong's Dictionary, you can look up the word um, falling away falling away, that's where we get the word apostasia, okay, apostasia, so that means a departure from what you know, now, there are a lot of ways that people are departing from the foundations of the faith, a lot of ways that people are departing from the foundation of the faith, um, but it's, it, it's not new to this time, Let, let's go a couple of places, and I'll show you just a couple real quick, John, this one's easy. To, this one's easy to remember. I like to give you references that are easy to remember. Go to John six six six. 
So you ought to be able to get it from there, right? It's probably not a good verse. <laughs> John 6, 6, 6. Let me, let me read verse 65 for context. Jesus said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. Verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. That's apostasy. They were with Jesus. They were disciples. Notice they were disciples of Jesus. And when it was a hard saying that they didn't like, they turned back and they didn't walk with Jesus any longer. And notice that Jesus didn't go run after them. Did you see that? How many of y'all see that? Jesus didn't go grab them by the ankles. What can I do to make it right? Did I say it wrong? Was I, was I too harsh? Was, can I say it a different way for you? What, do you see Jesus doing that? Who's, who's the best example we can look to for how we ought to be? Christ. So he spoke the truth. How many of you know he spoke it in love every time? Even when he was rebuking the disciples, you know he spoke it in love. When he was rebuking the Pharisees, you know he spoke it in love. Every time. And even here he speaks... This in love, this is a hard saying, here it is, and they go, whew, I'm out. And, but who does Jesus look to? He looks to the ones that are still with him. He said, you going to go away too? You going to go away too? So that, that's that gauntlet right there. But I want you to see, that's a departure from the faith from quote, unquote, disciples. Right? So apostasy, and, and we can go all the way back. We, For the sake of time, we don't have time. But f even in the days of Israel coming out of Egypt, there was apostasy back then. People were departing from the faith even back then. It, but I just wanted to show you right there. So if somebody says, man, um, you know, people aren't following that pastor anymore, that teacher anymore, whatever. Well, you don't, you got to look at the situation because Jesus lost followers right there, Right? So sometimes, so, sometimes some people just can't grasp that or they don't want the pure, unadulterated truth. Um, but it caused a departure. It caused an apostatizing of some certain disciples. Um, there's a couple of other places that we could go to, but for the sake of time, um, we're not. Let, let me take you to um, 2 Timothy chapter number 3. Let me take you over there. Second Timothy chapter three. Now, when so one indicator of the the atmosphere when the times of the Gentiles are coming to an end is going to be that falling away, right? The falling away from the truth. But but let's be let's be real. Right? Let's be real. That kind of stuff don't happen just like that. How many of you ever how many of you ever seen somebody get on fire for the Lord 
and overnight reject Christ. Don't happen like that, does it? Is it, it uh, there's a song, um, and I don't, um, it's called a slow fade. It's a slow fade. Well, I'll skip church this week. I don't need to pray today. I'll skip next week, right? Well, they have church twice on Sunday. I'll just go once. I mean, I'm just going to, you know, I don't have to read my Bible today. I'll read it tomorrow. I haven't read my Bible in a month. I'll read it next month. I haven't read my Bible this year. I'll read it next year. See how that fade goes? Okay. So it's not just a flip of the switch, you know, I'm on fire for God, I'm celebrating, I'm hallelujah, and then I'm out the door. You don't go from the, and don't take this the wrong way because this not like our church, but some churches are like this, but you don't go from the front row to the back row overnight. Like, you know, the kind of church I grew up in, it was one of those, if you didn't want to be there, you sit in the back, right? But our church didn't like that, so don't, <laughs> our church didn't our church didn't like that. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but, but the people that were like young and on fire for the Lord, they would come to the front. It was, ah, ah, you know, you couldn't contain their excitement. And then, you know, you get that slow fate. Well, and then it's, and then it's, I'll miss next week. And then it's, well, I'll go once a month. Then I'll go every other month. Then I'm going to be a uh, potluck dinner then I'm only going to be at Christmas and Easter, right? Then I'm only going to go when my kids get baptized. Then I'll, what church is that again? Slow fade. And we know what that is. We've all seen it in our friends or our families, or maybe we've been there. Maybe we got a testimony like that. It, but I want you to see that, that what we're looking at here, this falling away, that is a departure from truth that happens, listen, through inroads that the devil makes in our lives. This great falling away that's going to happen, it, it, it doesn't just magically like a fog comes down and we go, you know what? I don't want to believe this anymore. It's a slow fade. There are inroads that the enemy makes through false teachings. The falling away, the apostasy, is when you leave true teaching and you move to false teaching. Any false teacher is not going to say, here's a false teaching for you. You want it? Are they? They're, what are they going to do? They're going to blend truth with error, knowingly or unknowingly. Some do it unknowingly. Some do it knowingly. Who's going to get the harsher judgment? Those that do it knowingly. But the Bible says that you shouldn't, you, shouldn't, you should be careful if you're a teacher because you're going to get a harsher judgment. So even if, even if you want to say, well, I didn't know any better, well, you should have kept your mouth shut. You need to know what the Bible says before you teach others because you could lead people in error. You have to stand on what God has said. You have to have the, the foundation of God's word. Now, notice here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to look at the atmosphere of those last days and these kinds of teachers that, that rise up. And, and we're not going to go through all of it, but I'm just going to hit some highlights. Verse number one, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Perilous times, is it, it, I would describe it as when people don't know what to do. 
And I would say we're getting kind of like that in the church because people really don't know what to believe anymore. And, and the sad thing is, is things are getting blended and smorgasbord so much that it's all sounded like the same drum beat. And then you get that, then you get that voice crying in the wilderness that sounds weird, saying that's wrong. But look, there's, there, there is a separation that's going to take place in true teaching and false teaching. And the deviation, there is going to be a deviation from the foundational truths. Just showed you that. And it's going to begin with other kinds of errors. Now, look at this. So the perilous time is when you don't know where to go. You don't know who to believe. You don't know who to listen to. You, you, you know that you can turn on uh, YouTube or uh, wh whatever church things are on TV. I don't know. I don't have them. Um, you can listen to the radio, whatever. You don't know who's teaching you what. You don't know. It's just like um, when they called about the radio program. They wanted us to run a commercial, pray the names of Jesus, right? This is when we first came in. We want to, you want to run a commercial called pray in the names of Jesus? I don't know. I never listened to the radio. I'll check it out. I check it out and I hear somebody saying, you can't say the name of Jesus or you're going to hell. Whoa. So that's when we began our debate with um, the Hebrew roots guy because, you know, that just, I'm not going to take that passively. Y'all know me by now. So I'm not. Oh. Well, notice though, that was going on and nobody was saying anything. Why? Why is nobody going to say anything? Because the, the hour we live in, you can literally get on the radio and say, if you use the name Jesus, you're going to hell. You're praying to Zeus is what they were saying. You're praying to the wrong God. That's what they were saying. That was going on on the radio, and nobody was correcting it. Nobody was. You see, the hour, we live in an hour where people are snoozing through their faith. You say, well, how are we going to get to the great falling away? Uh, hello? We're not a big area. We're, we're Shreveport Bozier. How does somebody get on the radio and say that kind of stuff and nobody correct it. Nobody. And so, and that's a small example. That's just, and that's our testimony. Can you imagine how this is being played out all over the nation? Look at that stuff that's going on on TV. We looked at the word of faith, right? I mean, you have well-intentioned people promoting Kenneth Hagin or Kenneth Copeland, these kind of people. And yet these people say that Jesus exchanged his God essence for the essence and nature of Satan on the cross. And that he died as a man, suffered, and he had to be saved just like you got to be saved. He had to be born again just like you got to be born again. And here's the problem. And I'm not a, I'm not a theologian, but here's the problem. I just, you know... I just ask the Lord for help when I study. <laughs> Lord, anoint me. Here's the problem with that logic. What gospel saved him? If you're telling me he had to get saved, what gospel saved him? Because he wasn't raised from the dead yet. I'm not a theologian, but that don't cut it. 
And you tell saying that he changed his nature from God nature to Satan nature, that don't cut it. Yet, yet, books are sold in bookstores, DVDs are sold, conferences are had, Bible schools. Do you know, I've got people from those, I don't want to get too much, but I got people from that Bible school like hounding me. Some of, you know what? I got to pray with three of them to come out of it. Three so far, I've got to pray to come out of it. But some people, you're not talking about my Bible school like that. Well, I'm not talking about a school. I'm talking about a false teaching. That false teaching is part of the great falling away. It's deviating from a foundation of the faith. It's deviating from the deity of Christ. It's deviating from the nature and essence of Jesus being God from eternity past to present to eternity future. And when you do that, I'm going to speak out against it. Same way when you hear on the radio somebody saying you can't use the name Jesus. You have to, you know. Not even to mention how ignorant it is. Because the way you say Jesus in Greek and the way you say Zeus in Greek are totally different. That's how ignorant it is. So, anyways, how did I get on that? Perilous times. <laughs> Be like, Pastor is ranting. <laughs> Um, perilous times, perilous times. It, it's when, it's when you, you don't know who to listen to. It's kind of like politics right now. You don't know who to believe. Well, maybe you do, maybe you don't. But it's divisive. You don't know who to listen to, do you? In perilous times. And that's what it's, everybody, and the sad thing is, is most people are too asleep at the wheel to hear the difference, to hear the difference. You have to, you have to, um, I heard somebody say, you, um, talking to preachers, he said, if you want to get your point across, keep saying the same thing till you know that people are tired of hearing it. Once you know they're tired of hearing it, they heard it for the first time. Amen. So that's why I ask my wife to repeat herself all the time. So. Huh? But anyways, in, in perilous times, you don't know who to listen to. There's many voices. And we, leave in, we live in such a sleepy generation that we have to have coffee and energy drinks and everything else to stay awake. And in, 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 in think about spiritually how asleep we are when we can allow those kinds of teachings to cut across the foundational truth that the Bible teaches just cut it in half. You, you get on the deity of Christ, you get on his name. I mean, you're cutting it in half. And yet the church just, whatever. It was a great service. We had great worship. So that's why it's important to kind of heed this stuff. Um, so perilous times shall come. Listen to this, verse number two. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. Uh, that's the, that's you folks. Well, that's not what the Bible says. They're going to hate you. Despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure 
more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Now, let's pause right there. Incontinent, by the way, are people that love their sin so much they, they don't want to get out of it. If you've ever battled with addiction, you kind of know what that feels like. But it's when somebody gets so invested in their sin, they identify with it. Um, that's what incontinent means. The only way somebody can get healed of incontinent is the only way somebody can get healed of any of those. Right there, Jesus. He heals drunks. He heals drug addicts. He heals depression. He heals loneliness. He heals everything that ails the soul or the body. Um, boy, we're just now getting started. I just got the gr groundwork laid. All right. Let's go to Revelation 13 real quick. I don't have time to do all this, but I'll just start it. So you, you, you see that when the, when the fullness of the Gentiles comes, that's when the last days are really getting last. And you've got two signature posts of the last days. You've got an apostasy that's going to happen. That's a departure from the foundations of the faith. Then you have wicked, wickedness. Wickedness in churches, wickedness in the, uh, um, the priesthood, wickedness in ministers, wickedness in all kinds of places, um, all over the place. And that's, I mean, hello, that's where we are. You know that, you know, one of those verses, it says, without natural affection. That's talking about homosexuality. You know that today there are denominations in good old USA that we don't think is ever going to stop because we're so godly. There's denominations in good old USA that are ordaining homosexuals today. It didn't happen overnight. Started back in, what, the 80s? And now some denominations are overrun with it. Overrun with it. Now, how is it that there's something the Bible strictly prohibits? Old Testament stone. New Testament prohibit. Sign of the end days. Not only are we bringing into the church, but we're putting in the pulpit what God has prohibited. And yet, and yet, we go on. Church just, hey, as long as the money keeps coming in, as long as payments keep getting made, as long as we keep getting to build our new building, who's saying what about nothing? That's where we are. That's where we are. And that's why, now I realize that you, you may be speaking out against it. I'm, I'm speaking in general about the church. So I realize you may be speaking out against it. I hope that you do have courage in it. But there's coming a day when you, when you speak out against it, are going to get in trouble for speaking out against it. It's already happening in Europe. I mean, you can't preach anyway in Saudi Arabia or Iran. I mean, you can forget that. But even in places like, like London, England, you have people that are going to jail for it. I saw they just um, suspended a kid because they were teaching about gender switching. She didn't want to do that lesson. They suspended her. 
So where, where are we? And where's the church? Because, you know, without, without the moral fabric of, of the word of God, a generation is gone under. The Bible has a moral fabric to it. God's people are set apart. When you, when, when you, and this is one of the things we will have to get in on Bible translations one day. Um, but this is why when you start questioning the authority of the word of God, you start undermining the fabric of God. And once you do that, all, all things are on the table again. Whereas God's people, you're supposed to be a people set apart. You're supposed to, you're supposed to be different than the world. What communion has light with darkness? What communion has Christ with Belial? You're supposed to be different. Now, different how? It doesn't mean that you walk around with your nose in the air. It, we're not talking about that. We're talking about having the light of God, that, you, that you're different, that you don't laugh at those jokes, that you don't talk like the world. You don't watch or listen to what they do. Why? Because you're funny and weird? No, because God has set you apart. You've been set apart for a holy purpose. You, there's a purpose on your life. And, and you, you, can't, you can't live in light and darkness. You won't be able to fulfill the call of God on your life until you, until you firmly get in the camp of, all right, I'm going to be in the light. Lord, here I am. Once you get into that place, that's, that's when the the plan of god will begin to work in your life um but like he says in corinthians what what communion has christ with belial and, and that's synonymous for you know the spirit of the world so i'm i'm thinking about preaching about halloween coming you know <laughs> what what do christians have with darkness and and i'm not I'm not, you know, exactly just picking on that, but even things like, like those kinds of movies. Watch, you know, that you may, not, you may not be committing adultery with anybody, but do you know when you watch it on TV, you're getting it into your heart? You may not be murdering anybody, but when you watch it on TV, you're getting it in your heart. You, you may not be doing, there may be things you would never do, but there may be things that you watch and enjoy and relish in what what business do we have watching adultery on tv what business do we have watching you know people get plastered drunk on tv and committing fornication we have none no, and that's all hollywood has they only got one trick sin then you got you have you know well, what about the good wholesome entertainers? Okay, find them, bless them, use them, lift them up, right? But how many are there? Not many, not many. So, I mean, if, if there's good ones, good, good, great. But I'm, I'm not trying to get too much on that, but I'm just trying to get you to see, we should, we should be a people set apart. Of all the people in the world, we should be the ones that don't laugh at the jokes. Can you agree with that? If there's going to be a people that say, you know what? I probably shouldn't be watching that. Shouldn't it be Christ's flock? Christ's little lambs that have been washed in the blood? Shouldn't it be the, 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 the ones that have had their sins blotted out and are white as snow? 
Shouldn't it be those children that say, you know what, I probably shouldn't be doing that. I probably shouldn't be seeing that. Shouldn't it be us? Or are we waiting on the world to do that? Right? So, anyways, we gotta, we're going to open this up real quick, and then we'll close, okay? I'm, I'm not going to take you anywhere else. We'll stay right here, I promise. Um, and then we'll close. But what I want to do is just open up this can of worms so that you can chew on it. But there are um, a lot of good stuff I got to get to in it. So in Revelation chapter 13, if you were here last week, dun, dun, dun. So Revelation 13, this is where we get who? Antichrist, that's right. We get the Antichrist. And then after the Antichrist, who comes? Satan comes. And then, huh? False prophet. Yep, false prophet. You got it. False prophet. Remember, there is a unholy trinity in the tribulation. Satan always imitates God because he wants to be like the most high. Counterfeit. Good way of describing it. Unholy Trinity. The Antichrist has been described as Satan incarnate. Satan actually energizes him. So you kind of get that glimpse, an imitation of the incarnation of Christ, an imitation of, okay? But um, let's look at verse number 11. I'm going to leave the Antichrist alone for right now. If you remember from last week, and we'll get into this in a deeper uh, way next time, but the Antichrist is going to be, we're, we're looking at the Antichrist as political and military power. The Antichrist is political and military power. He has power, okay? The, the false prophet is a different story. Um, look at verse number 11. It says, And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, okay? And he had two horns like a lamb. He had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him and causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And he doeth great wonders so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men and he deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by the sword and did live. So let's pause. The, the false prophet is going to institute a religion that everybody's going to fall into, a religion that is palatable to every person in every faith. It's a smorgasbord of the world's religions. Everybody's going to come together into one religion. It's called, we call it in prophetic things, the one world religion. The, the false prophet is going to be the one who makes the image, the one who animates the image, 
and the one who makes sure that the people that are here on the earth worship the image of the beast. So we always talk about the mark of the beast, but the one who, who causes you to worship that mark of the beast is this preacher. It's this preacher. So there's a lot in this that we want to unpack, and we're just going to open up the can of worms, and we'll, de we'll delve into it next time that, that we get into this. Notice a couple of things as we close. Notice, number one, that he had horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. What does that imply? That implies that he imitated, imitated something innocent, but he spake like a dragon, meaning he was camouflaging or masking false teaching. He was imitating innocency, but he, when he spoke, he was deviating from that innocency. And look, later on, it says that he did wonders, right? He did wonders and miracles, and he deceives. These are, these are what prof prophecy teachers, where they get the calling cards for the one world religion. There's going to be, listen, there's going to be wonders. There's going to be signs. There's going to be miracles. And there's going to be deception. And it's going to all look good on the outside, but you got to listen to the voice to see if it's coming from a dragon. This, this one world religion is what everything's being funneled into for the great falling away. Everything's being funneled into it. The groundwork's being laid. I don't have time to take you, but um, the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work according to 1 John chapter 4. Spirit of the Antichrist is already here, he said, in his day. You're talking, uh, that book they think was written around 80 AD, 70 or 80 AD. The spirit of the Antichrist was already on earth then. That's what he said. And then Peter said in 2 Peter uh, chapter 2, he said that false teachers, he said just like there were false prophets, there shall be false teachers from among you. False teachers are going to rise up because that's what they do. That's what they do. So you have to look at not how someone looks, but what they say. You have to look at what they teach. This You can see right here that if you only look on the outward, if you only look on the, on the surface of it, the false prophet looks like a lamb. He does miracles, he does wonders, he does signs, and he looks like a lamb. But he speaks like a dragon. So if you only look at the surface level of it, you're going to get deceived. You have to, you have to examine what is said. You have to examine what is said. That's how you know. In, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, it says to test the spirit, try the spirit to see if they're of God. How do you do that? Is that how you do it? How do you know if something's of God? Do you lick your thumb and stick it in the air? How do you know when somebody says something if it's of God or not? How do you know? You got to go to the word of God. You have to use the word of God like Obadiah. It's got to be a plumb line. 
It's got to be your plumb line. It's got to be your rule. Everything that somebody says has to be in line with the word of God. When somebody starts infringing on those fundamentals of the faith, eh, they're out. Sorry. Uh, I use this example a lot, talking about Jehovah's Witness. Um, I was given a book, right? A study book from someone in, in prison. He said, you know, just for study purposes. This, these are those kind of books that I write, you know, on the outside, heresy. But, um, but just to look at for study purposes, do you know the first, like, 60-something lessons in there? You could teach in any Sunday school, any children's class, any, anywhere. First... I mean, great lessons. They're, you know, hey, listen to God. It, you know, obey your parents. Don't lie. Don't steal. I mean, great stuff. And it's straight from the watchtower. But it's only when you get to the end of the book that they define the terms. It's called semantics. It's called semantics. The, the, the Mormons, they're called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. However, it's not the Jesus Christ in that book because the Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a Jesus who has a brother named Lucifer from the planet Kolob. That's not in that book. That's not, that's not that. So just because somebody says something, you have to examine where are they coming from? What they, how are they doing? So notice here, this false prophet who's, who's the leader of the false religion of the end times looks like a lamb. He does miracles, signs, and wonders. You know that, that right there, that deceives the masses today. Just because somebody, just because somebody healed somebody doesn't mean anything. Are healings good? Yep. But do you know that the devil does miracles too? Let, let, let me, give me, just give me two minutes. Give me two minutes. Let me show you this in closing. Give me two minutes. Go to Exodus chapter 7. You know where I'm going. Exodus chapter 7. And go to verse number 9. Now this is whenever Moses is going to Pharaoh and he's going to say, God has sent me. Here's a sign. Just because somebody does a miracle or a sign doesn't mean they're from God. There's, there's, there's people out there on the streets that will tell you that one foot's shorter than the other, and they can position your back and pull it. They can, they can even make you walk straight. It doesn't mean they're from God. It doesn't mean they're from God. Remember, the false prophet looks like a lamb, but he speaks like a dragon. And he does wonders and miracles. Okay. When Pharaoh shall speak unto you, saying, Show a miracle for you, then shalt thou say unto Aaron, Take thy rod, cast it before Pharaoh, and it shall become a serpent. Now, does God know all things? Now, God told him that, right? Does, does, does God know what's going to happen? God knows what's going to happen. So God wanted this in the Bible. God told Moses, 
right? Y'all throw that rod down, it's going to become like a serpent. And Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had commanded. Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh, before his servants. It became a serpent. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and sorcerers, now the magicians of Egypt. They also did in like manner with their enchantments. For they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. So God was showing that he was more powerful than the enemy, but notice the enemy imitated the power. Just because somebody does a wonder or a miracle does not mean they're from God. You see, right there, Pharaoh's magicians did the exact same thing Moses and Aaron did. So you have to look at the message behind the work. Okay? You have to look at the message behind the work, not just the work. You can't say, oh, that preacher at their service, they got healings. I mean, they got healings breaking forth. Everybody that comes up to the front gets healed. Everybody that comes up to the front gets healed. Everybody gets, you know, they fall on the floor. That's good, but what's the message being preached tells you the spirit that is animating the work. You can't just look at the work. Otherwise, you'd be going over and following the magicians, sitting at their feet, listening to what they say. How many, we don't want to do that, do we? But this is part of the falling away at the end times. It's part of it because people are no longer going to want to listen to sound doctrine. They're going to have itching ears laying up teachers for themselves, what they want to hear. I don't want to hear somebody telling me homosexuality is not. I don't want to hear somebody telling me not to drink alcohol. I don't want to tell somebody here. I don't want to. They're going to go to who they want to go to. They're going to turn away from sound doctrine. And that's just the framework of the religiosity that's going to be in the end times. So, amen. Any questions?